God bless you. You can be seated. If you want to follow along on the app, there's a lot of notes that they'll all be on the screen, but if you want to follow along on the app, you can follow along because there's a lot of scripture this morning. And if you log in, you can actually fill in the blanks there. But I want to talk to you about how to win when you are weak. Um, one of my favorite books in the Bible has been the book of Judges. It's been like that since I was a little boy. I love the book of Judges. I love the stories of Gideon. I love the stories of Ehud. As a matter of fact, when I was a youth pastor, Ehud was one of my favorite preaching topics. And if you've never read that story, it's a fascinating story. I like the stories that of action and they kind of remind me of our modern day superhero movies. And when you read the book of Judges, you've got to remember this is a for people in our day, it's kind of a weird book because it's a complex book. It's a, all of the characters are a mixed bag because in the book of Judges, you've got characters that turn out to be heroes. They've got big egos. Anybody know anybody with a big ego? Are you married to one? I mean, sorry, but you know, you, anybody know anybody with a temper? Anybody know anybody with struggling with lust? All of these characters are, they're in the book of Judges, and yet God uses them. And the book of Judges helps you to see that there is a real moral art to the created order that God has established, and that the laws of sowing and reaping, they really do work. And when you read the book of Judges, you kind of got to think about superhero movies today. Because I watched, and I wouldn't wish this on anybody, I watched on our family night a three-plus-hour Marvel superhero movie. <laughs> and I got to tell you, that's a long movie when you can't go to the bathroom. That's a long movie when you're thirsty and you want something to drink, but you dare not drink the movie. It's a long movie when you haven't seen all of the movies and you're asking questions and everybody says, hush, be quiet. Don't talk so much. We can't enjoy the movie. And so after the movie, I start to ask questions and they look at me and you go, you're done. Until you watch the movies, you have no questions to be able to ask. I felt no respect at all for my family on our family nights. But at the end of the movie, there's this, how many, any, I don't, maybe I shouldn't tell you about the end of the movie, but anyway, the, the movie, there's all of these heroes and characters I'd never seen or heard of before. But I thought, oh, I'm changing my sermon just a little bit for Sunday morning because the book of Judges is like a Marvel superhero movie. And I want you to keep two characters in your mind. I want you to keep a guy by the name of Iron Man. How many of you know who Iron Man is? Anybody not know who Iron Man is? Okay. okay. Ask Jerry. He'll tell you after service, Andy. And then I want you to keep another character in mind in the, in the movie. And I want you to keep this Scandinavian stud by the name of Thor. See, you do watch those movies. And he's got this super weapon called a, a hammer. Yeah. So I want you to... I heard you. Heather, it's the first time I've ever heard you in church before. So I, I just want you to keep these movies in mind because you're going to see these characters as we go through the story this morning. However, if you start reading the book of Judges, which I hope you do, I want you to understand there's some deep, deep stuff going on in the book of Judges. And the characters, like I told you, they're flawed. But if you'll read it carefully, you'll see that the moral principles and the commands of the Scripture, you'll, you'll see them work their way through. But you'll find yourself at times going, God, why? God, how? Because there's some dark themes just like runs in our other movies as well. But there's a cycle that goes on over and over in the book of Judges. In the book of Judges, there's this cycle. God brought the children of Israel into the promised land. They come into a land that God describes as a land that's flowing with milk and honey. God gives them peace from their enemies. And when they have peace from their enemies, they're able to be diligent, they're able to work, and they prosper. And then as they prosper, God had warned them through Moses. He had warned them, beware when you've built houses and you've planted vineyards and you have prospered. Beware that you say that my hands have done this, that I have done this. Beware that you forget the Lord who gave you the power to gain wealth. And so what happens is there's a cycle where they, they get 
peace, they get prosperity, they turn against the Lord in sin, God turns them over in His sovereignty to their enemies, and then the cycle repeats itself again and again with each of these superheroes. And the lesson that we learn is that sin will always lead you to idolatry, and idolatry will lead you to a place of self-sufficiency, which is what the serpent promised Eve in the garden, that you will be like God, your eyes will be opened, and when you are self-sufficient, rather than depending upon God, you become arrogant, and arrogance will always lead you to captivity. Self-sufficient arrogancy will always lead you to captivity. When you turn your back upon the Lord, when you live in sin and you willfully disobey the Lord. So, let's read this morning from Judges chapter 4 and verse 1 and 2. After Ehud died, the people of Israel sinned against the Lord again. So the Lord left them, be conquered by Jabin, a Canaanite king who ruled in the city of Hazor. And the commander of his army was Caesarea, who lived in Harosheth of the Gentiles. Well, here the people had committed sin. They had become arrogant, as they did. The New Testament warns us about this in the book of James. If you boast, in your, you boast in your arrogant schemes, then all such boasting is evil. When you become arrogant, you become cocky. When you become cocky, you begin to boast about what you can do and what you have done. Sometimes, to be honest with you, our president sometimes scares me a little bit, not because I don't believe we're the most powerful nation, but I don't hear him saying enough that it's not by might and it's not by power. Some, the Bible tells us, trust in chariots. Some trust in horses. And when he talks about all of our superpower might and we're the most powerful country in the world and we can wipe anybody out, friends, beware of that kind of arrogance because everything depends upon the Lord. Everything depends upon the Lord. I don't care how financially secure you might be this morning. Everything depends upon the Lord. I've been in those nations when all of a sudden the economy went belly up overnight and even wealthy people lost everything they had. My family was struck by that in the Great Depression when my grandfather lost six of the seven farms we had and went overnight from being financially insecure to financially insecure in the Great Depression. So it's there's this theme that I see and that has been passed down to me through the generations about bewaring of arrogance. And in this story, the Canaanites are the bad guy. Matter of fact, King Jabin, he is a much more arrogant man than the Israelites are. King Jabin is a much more wicked man. And Habakkuk deals with this in the book of Habakkuk, if you've read the Minor Prophets. Habakkuk one time says, Lord, will you let someone that is more wicked than what we are now? I mean, Habakkuk's honest. He says, God, we're a wicked nation. We have turned our backs upon you. We've sinned against you, but will you really let a more wicked nation than what we are come? And of course, God's answer was yes. And God brought Israel to a place of repentance and humility where he could restore them. But King Jabin had a general named Caesarea. Caesarea in this story or this movie, he's the arch villain. So think of somebody like Soleimani that the United States took out. This man who has murdered and tortured and maimed so many. I want you to think of Soleimani or bin Laden or maybe Hitler if you're old enough to remember those days. This is a bad guy, Caesarea. King Jabin needs a really bad guy to do his dirty work. He needs a really bad guy to do the butchery that he has. And look at how the Bible describes Caesarea. Caesarea, who had 900 iron chariots, ruthlessly oppressed. And that's a violent word right there in the Hebrew. Ruthlessly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. And then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help. Now, don't forget, we just read, the people of Israel sinned against the Lord, so God turned them over to King Jabin. Jabin had this general named Caesarea. Caesarea had 900 iron chariots, and that's important. That's an important point, so don't miss this. Because the Canaanites had Iron Age technology when the Israelites didn't have Iron Age technology. 
And that explains so why so many little dictatorships want to get nuclear power and will do whatever it takes through sabotage and subterfuge to get nuclear power because if you have Iron Age technology and your enemy doesn't have Iron Age technology, you can pretty much run rife shot over them. If you don't have the iron, iron is an enemy that you can't defeat. And I dare say, looking across this congregation, that every one of us, though I may not know, now look at me, don't miss this. Every one of you in here, you are facing an iron chariot somewhere in your life. A chariot that you cannot defeat in your arrogance. A chariot you cannot defeat with your finances. A chariot you cannot defeat with medicine. Every one of us at some point are going to face those kind of chariots in our lives. And God allows us to face those things. And today we can make decisions whether we're weaker than the willful, whether we are, are, are not strong. We can make the decision today we can win by putting our faith and trust on the Lord. Here's what I've learned about life. And you might want to write this down in your outline. I didn't put it in the outline. It's not even in the app. But I just came back after watching that movie the other night and I wrote this down. If I try to do life on my own, I'm going to lose every single time. If I try to do life on my own, I'm going to lose every single time. And some of you, you think, well, I know that, Pastor. Then why aren't you living like that? Then why aren't you doing that? It's kind of like the preacher who stood up one time and began to preach to his congregation before the Civil War why slavery is wrong. And he says, I'm going to preach this even though you don't like it. And I'm going to preach it until suddenly you begin to live it. And then after you live it, you'll begin to like it. And so friends, this morning, there are some things in faith you will never really like and you will never really enjoy until first of all, you take that step of faith to do it. And one of those is humbling ourselves before the Lord. General Caesarea is the Iron Man in this story, except he's a bad Iron Man. If you read Judges 4 and 5, he's an oppressive guy. He's a cruel guy. He's a violent guy. At the end of the message, I'll get to it because there's some things you can't fully understand until you really go through the story. And actually, there were some things, even though I've read Judges probably more than any other book in the Bible, with the exception of Acts and 1 Corinthians, I've read this book probably more than any other book in the Bible, and I found something as I was going through the word by word that I never knew before, and I'm going to share that with you this morning because it just helps you to see how ruthless the world and sin can be. Well, Israel needs a hero. Israel needs somebody that has got indomitable courage, somebody that would rather die than grovel before the enemy. Israel needs a superhero. Israel needs somebody to rise up to the occasion that has faith that is unconquerable. And guess what? Israel has this hero. But this hero is not who you would expect. So let's pick up with Caesarea again in Judges chapter 4 and verse 3. Caesarea, who had 900 iron chariots, ruthlessly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. And then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help. Deborah, the wife, listen to this name, Lapidoth. Say that with me. Lapidoth. Aren't you glad that's not your name? Just go home and hug your mama today. She could have given you that name. The wife of Lapidoth was a prophet. Notice this. Deborah was a prophet who was judging Israel at the time. In other words, she was leading Israel. She would sit under the palm of Deborah. She even had a palm named after her. Between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites would go to her for judgment. And one day she sent for Barak. Not Obama. But Barak. He is going to be another hero in this story. God's called Deborah to lead Israel. And to me, this is a very interesting story because you know your Old Testament. Most of you here have read your Old Testament numbers of times. God always raises up a man. God always uses a man. But in this story, none of the men had humbled themselves before the Lord. None of the men were having the courage. And so God goes to what the New Testament describes as the weaker sex. Not that she's weaker morally, not that she's weaker virtuously, but she's physically weaker. 
Now, you may be an Amazon queen working out at the, at the gym, and, and, and you may be physically very strong, but generally, women are physically weaker than men. Do we all agree with that this morning? So this is not a judgment on women not being as strong morally or intellectually as men, but God goes to a woman. And coincidentally, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the man was to be the covering for the wife and the covering for his children. The man was to cover his wife and his children with love and protection and faith. And the enemy, the enemy would have to go through the man to get to the wife and the family. Sir, that's why it's so important that you're a man of prayer. That's why it's so important that you're a man of principle. That's why it's so important that in private you are what you profess to be in church because there are always fiery missiles that the enemy is shooting towards your family. And you serve as a covering of prayer. You serve as a covering or protection to your wife and your sons and your daughters and even your grandchildren and children as they're growing up. But in this case, in the crisis, God calls a woman. Well, that tells me something else. God knows exactly what He's doing. How many of you believe that? Say amen this morning. God knows what He's doing. God is the smartest being in all existence anywhere at any time. And so God in His sovereignty lays His hand upon a woman. It's not a Joshua or a Samson or Gideon. It's this woman. God raises her up. And, and let's look at this because this is important. She, she's a wife. I'm sure she's a mother. She's a prophetess, which means she speaks for the Lord. She teaches. She's a judge. She's a leader in Israel. Evidently, she's a warrior because we're going to read later on in the story, she's going to go out into battle. Those are five things. Occasionally, and I got in just a little bit of trouble in the first service because I didn't know you were here, but you were up in the sound room, and now I'm just going to be a man and man up to it so I don't get in trouble and get home. Becky and I will have disagreements about multitasking. I don't believe multitasking is good. I think you do a better job when you're a unitasker and you're tasking on one thing. Becky says to me, that's because you're a man. You can afford to be a unitasker. I'm a wife and I'm a mother. I have a lot of things going on at one time and I can do them very well all at the same time. Thank you very much. Well, for the first time in my life, I have to admit, that it seems the Bible gives you some support for what you believe. But don't let it go to your head, sweethearts. You see, we have these disagreements when it comes to multitasking, and yet here's this woman, Deborah. She is a great multitasker. Becky tells me occasionally, she says, you, don't have, you, you have the luxury. You're able to study. You're able to pray. You're able to be focused. Most men, she says, has the luxury of being able to go to the job. But as mothers, we manage homes. We manage grocery budgets. We manage diets. We manage housing budgets. We educate and we help children assimilate and learn to communicate and to speak. And she says, you come home and play games with the kids. Sometimes she is just terrible on my self-esteem. <laughs> but she's right. She socializes these... Oh, there are so many women's heads just bobbing like this. You look like fishing corks in here this morning. And Deborah is the perfect model of this. But then God lays his hand upon a man by the name of Barak. And God has called Barak to be a general in Israel. He's a five-star general in a time of war. Well, being a woman, you might think that Deborah would do what women kind of do from time to time. And I've learned that. Now, now, now listen, don't miss this. You would think Deborah would just naturally defer to Barak and kind of come up and tactfully offer a suggestion and say, General Barak, don't you think it would be a good idea? Well, that's not what the Bible says at all. She just simply sends for Barak and calls to him. She leans in. She assumes authority. She's a so formidable woman. She tells him to take 10,000 soldiers and go to the Kishon River. The Kishon River is a dried up riverbed. And if you've ever driven out west, you'll see these little lines on the maps that will say such and such river. And when you get there, there's not a drop of water in the river at all. Isn't that strange, you know? There's just not a drop of water at all there. Well, 
Sometimes in the spring, there will be these flash floods. Well, she, takes, he, she tells him to take 10,000 men and head out to the Kishon River. Well, I got to tell you, she tells him General Caesarea is going to be there. He's got 900 iron chariots. And the people who are listening to the story, because this would be like a movie. This would be like your Marvel movies today. The people are listening to this story. They're excited. They're, they're on the edge of their seats as it's being told, because this is the moment when Thor is going to pick up his hammer and say, come on, victory. That's not what happened. It's not what happened at all. I mean, this is the moment when Superman is going to get rid of Lex Luthor. This is the moment when Batman is going to beat the Joker up and put him in prison. This is the moment you're waiting on. But look what General Barak says. Okay, I will go but only if you'll go with me. Now, friends, that may not mean a lot to you in a day where we have women serving valiantly in our military, but in that day, this was really sissified. I mean, in that day, Brock is looking at her and he's saying, I'm not going unless you go with me. And you can just hear mm, the sarcasm. None of you, your wife's ever been sarcastic with you before, has she? None of you women have ever been sarcastic, have you? You can just hear the sarcasm dripping off her tongue. Very well. Oive, I will go with you, but you will receive no honor in this venture, for the Lord's victory over Caesarea will be at the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kedesh. Now what you would expect is for her to say, God, this is a job for boys. This is not a job for girls. We're supposed to play with our little kitchens and our little teacups. And we're supposed to learn how to be humble little women growing up at home. Instead, she looks at him. She, I'm telling you, she just leans in. See, this is a formidable character to me in the book of Judges. I find no other woman like her until we get to Mary in the New Testament when she makes that defiant magnificat, as we call it. She could have been put to death for those words that she said. She leans into Barak. And I'm telling you, you feel it in your blood. God is about to do something. Because what you've expected, I mean, what you've expected is Barak is going to go out and there's going to be blood. There's going to be gore. There's going to be, pardon my French, there's going to be guts. There's going to be beheading of soldiers. It's going to be what, like watching the Lord of the Rings. There's going to be this ferocious battle. That's what you're expecting, except that's not what happens. Because the next line of the story, and you just kind of go, what? That, this is the next line of the story. Now Heber, the Kenanite, a descendant of Moses' brother-in-law, Hobab, had moved away from the other members of his tribe and pitched his tent by the oak of Zananim near Kedesh. I read this verse in isolation, and I bet everybody was thinking, who gives a rip? I want to see the blood and the guts and the gore, and I want to see Caesarea's head chopped off. How many of you understand what I'm saying right there? I mean, that's what you're watching. I don't want to know about Heber the Canaanite living in a tent and that he's remotely related to Moses. The battle doesn't even get described right here. You've got to read the next chapter to get the description of the battle. The battle doesn't get described. And to make matters worse, General Caesarea, the bad guy, gets away on foot. I'm going to tell you what happened so you can go home and read it later. What happened is our sovereign God sent a rainstorm and all of a sudden that Iron Age technology that the Israelites could not stand up against, that Iron Age technology got stuck in the mud and was useless to to Caesarea and to all of his troops and suddenly those 10,000 Israelite soldiers descended upon them and there were heads rolling babies but it wasn't the Israelites the heads rolling were the enemies of God I'm telling you through our God we shall do valiantly for he will tread down our enemies amen that's the word of the Lord so Meanwhile, Caesarea is running for his life. He's headed for the tent of Jael. Now, this is, this is a cool part of the story. He's headed for the tent of Jael, wife of Heber. You go, why Heber again? Well, 
Since you've asked, I'm going to tell you. It'll take a little bit of time, but you want to know, so I want to tell you. Heber's family were iron workers. They're the ones that made the iron chariots and sold them to the Canaanites. They were the arms dealers in this movie, selling to the bad guys. And just like we have arms dealers today selling to warlords, what you have here is a warlord named Caesarea buying arms from Heber the Canaanite, and he has armed them against the Israelites. So, Caesarea running for his life, he heads for the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber. Now, don't think a tent like you camp in. Think more of a Bedouin-style tent. The wife of Heber, the Canaanite, Jabin, king of Hazor, and Heber, the Canaanite, were on good terms with one another. I guess so. They were business partners. Jael stepped out to meet Caesarea. Come in, sir. Stay here with me. Don't be afraid. So he went into her tent. Now, there are some very sexual overtones right here because a woman would not invite a man into her tent like that. But he expected kindness. He expected generosity because he had made her husband a wealthy man. So she comes in. He comes in. She covers him with a blanket. And in a movie, when you get covered up with it, that's a tender moment. That's a tender scene. Can you hear the music playing in the background? Somebody's being protected. Somebody's being cared for. She covers him with a blanket, and this powerful Soleimani, Bin Laden type of guy says, please, a little water, I'm thirsty. And rather than give him water, she opens a bottle of milk and gave him a drink, and then she covered him up again. And you might be tempted to think Jael is being compassionate. She's being tender towards her husband's friend. But instead, Jael has a plan. For she is not an Israelite, but she's recognized the hand of God. Guys, look at me. Don't ever trust a woman that's not your wife who invites you into her tent. Are you listening? You heard it here first. Don't ever take a bottle of milk if you're in a battle from a woman that's not your wife. She invites him in. He takes advantage. And look what he says to her. Verse 20. He says to her, stand at the entrance of the tent. And if a man comes and asks you, is there a man here? Say no. I mean, he trusted her. Then he fell fast asleep from exhaustion. And Jael took the wife of Heber took a tent peg and a hammer. She's Thor. I, I mean, I mean I, this is the Bible. This stuff's in there. She's Thor. Shoop. She takes, not a little bitty aluminum. This is a Bedouin tent. It's a big tent peg. And she walks over there, tiptoes, and she drove the tent peg through his temple all the way into the ground. I bet you didn't see that coming, did you? <laughs> I bet that's not the way you thought the story was going. Unless you've already read the book, you, haven't, you didn't see that coming. But it's what Deborah prophesied. That the victory, the battle was not going to be won by a man, but it was going to be won by a woman. He died. I mean, he's dead meat. He's worm food. He bought the farm. He is dead. The enemy, ding dong, the witch is dead. The witch, oh, witch is wicked, witch is dead. I mean, this is what's happening now. In the movie, people are cheering. In the movie, people are clapping. They're hearing this story as it's being told through generations of Israelites. This is a moment when people are just going wild. Well, here comes Barak, who wouldn't go to battle without a woman at his side by the name of Deborah. Deborah Barak arrived in pursuit of Caesarea because he's going to prove the word of the Lord wrong. He's going to win this battle. He wants to go back with the gold and the glory. And Jael went out to greet him, and she said, Come, I'll show you the man you're looking for. And he went with her, and there he was, stretched out dead. Say it with me. Stretched out dead. Probably the most unnecessary words in the Bible. I mean, he's got a tent peg to his head. Imagine the last thing to enter your mind is a tent peg. You didn't see that coming either, did you? The last thing to enter his mind when he went into the wife of his, of his friend whom he had made rich is that she would turn upon him. But she nailed him to the ground 
You see, what I want you to see here this morning, it doesn't matter how weak you are, it doesn't matter how powerless you are, God will always overcome evil. Can we give him a hand of praise for that this morning? God will always overcome evil. You say, Pastor, I've seen some wicked, horrible things. Friends, I have seen some wicked, horrible things as well. But we have to remember, we are affected by the culture and the society we live in. When you read the prophets, you will understand sometimes the righteous suffer with the unrighteous because of the culture that they live in. In 2008, when the economy just went belly up and things went so hard around here. We suffered along with everybody else. People who tithed, people who had worked hard to pay off their houses. You saw your house decrease in value. We saw family after family as they were being moved out of our community. And my journal is filled with stories that I still go back to. And our banker came to see me this week and we sat down visiting and just reliving some of the stories of God's faithfulness in the past. And I told her some of those stories from that time pulling up from my, my journal. And she just rejoiced. She said, that's unbelievable. Those aren't the kinds of stories that I hear. And I was able to say to her, our God is always faithful. And this week, the rabbi asked me about some of those times, what it was like. And I was able to tell him, believe it or not, that was one of our best years ever for reaching lost people and for growing in our finances. Even though it seemed like people were going out the back door or being transferred to other parts of the countries. I'm telling you that even when the culture suffers, God will overcome evil and God will protect the people of God as we walk in faith with Him. Can we give Him a hand of praise for that this morning? It's why the Bible says, don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Conquer evil by doing good. And you see, even though the children of Israel... Even though the children of Israel had done wrong, and even as I read the story, and the best, and the best, and, 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 and this is important, the best I can interpret the story in the total scheme of the relationship, of the complementarian relationship between men and women in the Bible, of how God created us, and how He fashioned the home, and what Ephesians teaches us about the order of the home. Even in this story, though, Barak should have risen up, though the men of Israel should have risen up, God will still take someone who may be weaker physically, who may not have the training and battle skills, but if you will make yourself available, God will use you. The only skill you truly need is to be available to the Lord this morning. And back home, General Caesarea's mother is, she's imagining that the reason it's taking Caesarea so long to come home is because they must have won a decisive victory. They must have won a great victory. And she's imagining all the treasures that are being divided up. And in Judges 5.30, the Scripture says, they must be dividing. This is his mama speaking. And this is kind of a wicked woman when I read this. They must be dividing the captured plunder with a woman or two for every man. And what I want you to see is, in her mind, the soldiers were being given young girls to do with as they pleased, to, to abuse, to rape, to satisfy their lust with, to kill if they want to, to rip apart if they want to. And they say, Pastor, are you just stretching that? No, because the word for woman in this verb is the word womb, and it's a pejorative term. It's a pejorative term that simply means to talk about a woman and describe her, if you'll pardon me the way I'm going to say this, as a whore, or just describe her body part. She is not a human being. She is somebody just used to pleasure the lives of those men. And this is the way this mother of Caesarea is describing him. Friends, look at me this morning. Look at me right here in the eye. Don't you ever be deceived by what's on television or the movies. Sin is not pretty. Sin is not good. Don't ever be deceived, young folks. Don't ever be deceived, teenagers or college students, by the sins of this world because you don't want the scars or the memories or to be treated like a 
piece of something to be consumed for somebody else's pleasure. I'm telling you this morning, you were created in the image of God. And whether you are weak or strong, whether you are crippled or whether you are physically whole, whether you are white or black, whether you are a legal or illegal resident of this nation, you matter in the eyes of God. When Jesus said to suffer the little children to come unto me, He never said to ask about their citizenship. He never said to ask about their color. Never ask about their education. People matter to God and lost people matter to God. And that's the reason Jesus spilled His blood on the ground to save us from our sins. Can we give Him another hand of praise this morning? Hallelujah. Well, there's a great battle won. And then the cycle begins again. Then there was peace in the land for 40 years. Here's some things I'd just like you to take away this morning. And Number one, God is in control. God is in control. When it looks like everything is out of control, God is in control. As I intercede and pray over the leaders of our country, and I see the division in our nation, the polarization in our nation, and I see some of the violence and the things that are happening, I grieve. But my strength comes not because I believe there's wisdom in Washington, and I believe there are some wise people there. My strength comes not because I believe there are wise people in Lansing, and I believe there are some wise people there. My strength comes not because I believe there's some wise local leaders, and I believe and know there are some very good and godly local leaders. And I'm not known for trying to flatter anybody. I truly believe that. But when I look at our world, my comfort and my strength not comes not because of Washington or London or Brussels or Moscow or Israel or anywhere else in the world. My strength comes because God is in control. And when life doesn't work out the way you want, when prayers aren't answered the way you want, you need to remember life is in control because God is in control. Thursday night, our family was whooping and hollering and cheering because our son and daughter-in-law, Chris and Rachel, called us. And Chris says, Dad, you need to come down and help us get ready to build our new nursery. We're going to have a baby. <laughs> oh. We were hollering. We were clapping and cheering. We leave Shabbat service and because Orthodox Jews, there's no cell phones. You, it was so wonderful at that dinner, the quiet family, children around the table, walking to synagogue. We get in our car and we leave and once we get out on the road, we switch our phones Are We're at the hospital. We pray, we encourage. They're sent home, everything's okay. And then Saturday morning, just as I'm leaving to come and meet Marcella's family. Chris calls and says, Dad, our first child is in heaven. I want to tell you, it just took a few minutes to compose ourselves and pull back together. I remembered, I told Rachel, sitting at Big Bear Lodge a few years ago, I always lose my bearings, it's down there, right? sitting at Big Bear Lodge a few years ago and watching a couple with a baby and Chris says, Dad, I can't wait to be a daddy. I said, son, you need to get married first. He goes, I'm working on it. And to see his face and remember that conversation and to secretly hope they were going to name him after me. I did. I was like, oh, it would be so cool. The thing I tell my son and Rachel, and I tell you this morning, when it seems like things are out of control, you never forget God is in control. I thank God for my heritage. 
I don't need to understand. I don't need, never need to ask the question why. For I know he'll make a way through the night and through the day. I don't need to understand. I just need to hold God's hand. God is in control. So, Pastor, how do you know? Because years ago, a big Roman soldier fulfilling prophecy took a hammer and a nail and he drove it through the hands of our Savior for you and for me. And Jesus took upon himself the sins of the Jabins and the Caesareas and the Soleimanis and the Hitlers and the Dennis Clantons. He took the sins of all of us upon himself in fulfillment of prophecy. As I worshipped and lifted my hands in that synagogue service, realizing so many of these prophecies that my friends only knew had been fulfilled in Jesus Scores and scores of prophecies and the likelihood of those being fulfilled is so infinitesimally small, but they were. For instance, Psalms 41.9, even my best friend, the one I trusted completely, the one who shared my food has turned against me. Judas fulfilled that in betraying Christ. In Zechariah 11:12, Judas fulfilled, I said to them, if you like, give me my wages, whatever I'm worth, but only if you want to. So they counted out for my wages 30 pieces of silver, hundreds of years before Christ hung upon Calvary. Jesus fulfilled prophecies from Isaiah 50 and verse 6. I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mockery and spitting. Christ fulfilled that as they drove those nails in his hands for you and me. It looked like things were out of control to the disciples. The resurrected Lord had to explain it to them because sometimes if we let ourselves be moved by what we see, we will lose hope but we are sustained by Him that we cannot see but dwells within us the living God eternal and His name is the Lord Jesus Christ Yeshua the Messiah that's who we serve today and sustains us by His Spirit let's go on Psalms 22 and 16 they pierce my hands and feet they divide my garments among themselves and threw dice for my clothing they nailed his hands and feet to the cross, Mark 15, 24 said in fulfillment. And there also in Psalm 69 and 21, they offered me sour wine for my thirst. And sir, if you're still doubting, it was the custom because of Passover to break the legs of any still hanging upon a tree so that Passover would not be defiled. And I was reminded again with my friends as everything with the early winter darkness descended upon us, as the Shabbat candles were lit and we set out to be able to arrive at the right time, at the right time, Jesus hung on that tree. And though they broke the legs of the thieves beside him, you know the story, they didn't break the legs of Jesus for when they pierced his side, blood and water spilled out. He was already dead so they didn't break his legs and that was in fulfillment of Psalm 34:20. For the Lord protects the bones of the righteous, not one of them is broken. But when I was asked what we believe, I says, in our church, we do not hang a crucifix with a cross with the Savior hanging upon it. I have no problem with that. But our cross is empty because we serve a risen Savior today. He lives, He lives. Christ Jesus lives within me today. Hallelujah. God raised Jesus from the dead and we are all witnesses of this. So here's what I'd like to say to you today, to Christian and non-Christian alike. Decide to follow Christ today. If you're not a follower of Jesus, decide today how else would all of these prophecies have been fulfilled unless Christ had fulfilled them? Why else would he have done it if not for you because of God's will to save you and to love you? 
And if you're a Christian today, then start living like a passionate follower of Christ. Don't be indecisive. Don't adopt the ways of the world. Be a passionate follower of Jesus. Live with Him. Give Him everything you got. Sell out to Him lock, stock, and barrel. Don't compromise with the things of this world. Because there's a very interesting passage of Scripture in the story of Deborah and Barak. The princes of Issachar, you remember Issachar? The sons of Issachar, they were the ones that were wise and understanding, knew what Israel should do. The princes of Issachar were with Deborah and Barak. And they followed Barak rushing into the valley. But in the tribe of Reuben, there was great indecision. Why, speaking to Reuben, why did you sit at home among the sheepfolds? Why did you wait to hear the shepherds whistle for their flocks? Yes, in the tribe of Reuben, there was great indecision. Can I ask you a question this morning? Search your heart. Is there a lack of decisiveness in your heart and in your spirit? Is there indecision? Is it easy for you to say, I want to be a passionate follower of Christ, but it is more challenging like it is for me to be a passionate follower of Christ? For there are those times when I am tempted, I hear the voice of the enemy, and then I remember I'm a covering for Becky. I'm a covering for our family. As a pastor, I'm called to be a covering for this congregation. As a church, we're called to be a covering for this community. And sometimes it can be real easy to go through the form, to quote the creed, to go through a liturgy, to see all the things that you remembered as one young woman said to me this week. I knew them all. But I never really knew what they meant and how they applied. It takes courage. Look here. Don't miss this. It takes courage to be a passionate follower of Christ. Deborah had that. I want to be like Deborah. I want my family. I want you. I want your neighbors to know that you are the kind of person. I want Woodland to be that kind of people that others will say, if you go with me, I will go. I want our small groups because this week, Chris and Rachel's small group has just pulled around them brought them in and covered them. You see, Chris and Rachel have the wisdom to know I can't make this just on my own. We need one another in the body of Christ. We need... I'm going to let you in on a secret. I need you desperately. I'm going to let you know something else. You need me. Look at your neighbor this morning. Tell him, I need you this morning. Now tell them, and you need me too. We need one another. And see, here's the secret of this whole story this morning. If I'm willing, God will use me. It doesn't matter if I'm weak, but if I'm willing, God will use me to overcome the weaker. Pastor Corey read to you, and I've got to close, but he read to you, God's strength is made perfect in weakness, but if you would skip Adam to 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 25, God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. There is no weakness in God, but if there was, God's weakness is greater than all the strength of the Soleimani's, the Hitler's, and the Caesarea's put together. Look at 1 Peter 3, 7, the next passage. In the same way, you husbands... You must give honor to your wives. Look at your wife and say, baby, I'm going to honor you today. Use the word baby now. Jerry, look at her. Say, baby, I'm going to honor you today. That's going to get us... 
That's going to get us in all kinds of trouble today, guys. Write Pastor Rick. Don't write me. He told me to say that. I'm lying. I didn't say that. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker, not intellectually, not morally. That's not physically. She may be weaker than you are. But she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. And treat her so your prayers would not be hindered. Dr. Gary Smalley, that I respect so much, and we use his material in our premarital counseling. I want to read you this quote from Dr. Smalley in the book, If Only He Knew. I would venture to say that most marital difficulties center around one fact. Men and women are totally different. Those are his caps, not mine. The differences, emotional, mental, and physical, are so extreme that without a concentrated effort to understand them, it is nearly impossible to have a happy marriage. A famous psychiatrist once said, after 30 years of studying women, listen to this, after 30 years of studying women, I asked myself, what is it they really want? If this was his conclusion, just imagine how little we know about our wives. See, Pastor, why do you bring that in? Not to be funny, but to tell you, I could not imagine doing life without Becky. I could not imagine the battles that we fought without one another. And Carlene, I can't imagine what you and Texas and other widows in our church must be going through right now. But this congregation will always be here for you. Amen? That's what I mean by covering. But now if you decide to do what I've asked you to do, then I'm just warning you up front, following Jesus will involve you in a battle. Following Jesus will cause you to face 900 iron chariots. And you can't overcome Iron Age technology when you don't possess it unless you have the name of Jesus. And so I would encourage you, learn to speak the name of Jesus. Would you stand with me this morning? Father, I thank you for these marvelous, marvelous Old Testament stories. And you are perfect God. You show your strength perfectly in our weakness. Just like you took a woman by the name of Deborah and Jael and you overcame the most wicked of tyrants and Jabin and Caesarea. We speak the name of Jesus for not many of us were brilliant, not many of us, O oh Lord, were learned or educated. Not many of us were wealthy or rich, the scripture says. There were some that were, but even though they were, they acknowledged, without you, we can do nothing. So right now, would you just make a personal commitment? I prayed with a man earlier today who just committed his whole life to serving Christ. He said, Pastor, pray for me as I make a fresh start. If that's you, just pray right now. Say, Lord Jesus, I give you my heart. I give you my life. I confess my sins. And if you're drifted away from your faith, say, Lord, forgive me for drifting away. I return just like a prodigal son. I want to follow you wholeheartedly and be a passionate follower of Christ. For it's in Jesus' name we all pray. And everyone said, Amen, Amen, and Amen. The Lord bless you.